Hello and welcome to this week's Why Football podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokwu. How are you, Etch? Yeah, um, not too bad, thanks. Um, yeah, I watched obviously the City, uh, Liverpool, no, City Chelsea game, sorry, mm. midweek. Well, what's Mendy? What's Mendy doing? <laughs> I mean, the Pulisic goal, it's like, it's one of those FIFA goals where you've like passed it to, you pr- you spammed X and you passed it to Yeah, no McManaman was giving him all sorts of grief on the commentary. What's he doing? I don't know if he can't see the other two players that are around, the other two Chelsea players that yeah. are around, but he just needs to hold them up. And to be fair to Pulisic, it's a, it's it's a, a good, good he dropped yeah. the shoulder and he yeah. just like went on. It's a very good finish. And it's a shame about the second one as well, where mm. it was clear off the line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it was it was it was good to see finally see Liverpool win the league. Yeah, very much so. Um, you're an Arsenal fan, obviously you're probably not over the moon, but it's a bit a bit different than seeing Chelsea, City, or even United in recent times winning winning the league. Well, no, because obviously we're on episode six now or episode five, and uh, for the other four episodes, including this one, Arsenal hadn't won a game. Oh, and really? now they have, mate. So I'm over the moon. You can see the smile on my face, the way I walked in today. Yeah. You know, we won two. You're bubbling, yeah. Oh, pff, over the moon. Yeah, because you've well, you're in ninth now as well. So I mean, it's pretty, uh, pretty decent. Yeah, we're not far off the top, really. <laughs> if you look at it, pretty close. Um, it was a good win, one two nil. Didn't play that well, but just I had so many ideas for you know all the jokes I'd make about Arsenal winning when we're on the pod. And we haven't actually won, <laughs> so I've, I've kept quite quiet. But now I can actually be a bit more vocal. So. Yeah, it was good. It was good work from Nketiah and Saka looks like a real talent. So there are some positives that have came out in recent weeks, but obviously, the defeat against Brighton was a real shock to the system because that has allowed the gap to, especially with Chelsea winning, to yeah. increase for fourth. So it really is a, a case of Europa League, isn't it, for for Arsenal now? Yeah, yeah, probably most likely. Uh, we we'll have to wait and see. Probably, yeah. And then aside from that, just been dealing with the heat. Mm, quite hot this week it's been bad especially in lockdown it's affected the football watching football doing work playing FIFA the whole lot tough life how you doing Dryden? I'm great uh, recently actually I've been watching the football but I also watched um, I recorded England's Euro 2004 defeat to Portugal mm. um, I don't know why I put myself through that but it was on Sky so I recorded it and I watched it the other night uh, I watched it up until Hilda Pasiga equalised with the header like the 85th minute did you start crying? I, I did start crying. I was obviously aware that was going to happen and right. it still annoyed me. So I don't know why I did it. But I wanted to see, I think it's interesting to see how these games actually happen. I was quite young when that game was on. Yep. And so I can't recall it. We were actually terrible. And we scored early doors with that really interesting like flick from Michael Owen. Hmm. But we were giving the ball away left, right and centre. And they were actually dominating the game throughout. I mean, Manish was running the show throughout. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's because we scored early and there's different, especially at that time and culture in terms of football and style. But, we just looked terrible. Darius Vassell came on, which wasn't a great showing. Should have been Kevin Phillips. It, should, it, it very much should have been Kevin. <laughs> Not in 2004, but we're talking three, four years prior. How are you winning a European Golden Boot? The only British player Here to win a, Golden, <laughs> a European Golden Boot. Or it's the only player in Premier League era yeah. from the UK, or from Britain, to win the Golden Boot. Doesn't get, a, doesn't get a cap. Well, he got like one cap, but he should be playing. He should have made 100. Injustice. <laughs> on this week's episode... Etchers will be taking a look at the 2004 Champions League final between FC Porto and AS Monaco, with a particular look at AS Monaco. So Etch, to kick us off, what made you decide to look into this match? Yeah, so I don't actually remember the game too well. Um, I was still sulking after Wayne Bridges' late goal knocked out Arsenal in the quarterfinals. Of course. Yeah, back then it was our invincible season, so... 
I expected us to win every single match. Oh, yeah, it was a invisible Europe. season, yeah, wasn't it? Was. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was interesting that time that it wasn't seeing the same sort of European success for Arsenal. And then when you did get to the final, it was actually after that period yeah. when the team wasn't that good. strong. No, not at all. Uh, but what I remembered of that campaign uh, in the Champions League was it was very famous for Mourinho's Porto mm. for obvious reasons because they ended up winning the Champions League. Spoiler. Uh, their team were littered with quality, you know, like Deco, Carvalho, Paolo mm. Ferreira, Benny McCarthy. Uh, Legend. Who, yeah, Blackburn fans don't know well, as well as Manish, yep. who you touched on earlier. We all remember that famous Old Trafford win where Mourinho was clocked running at 60 miles per hour down the touchline. Yeah. Um, but football has a funny way of forgetting the losers, and, you know, yeah. that Monaco side actually had played quite well, had some big wins along the way. So I thought I would actually shine the light back on them because I actually knew very little about that side, how they got there, who this, what their setup kind of was. Mm. Well, likewise, I don't remember watching the game at all. Um, but I do remember watching Porters win at Old Trafford with Mourinho sliding down like the Decanios knee slide. Mm. <laughs> um yeah, so Julian Evra, the only two I really recall playing on that side. Hmm. Um, the players you mentioned from Porto, I remember more so because you had likes of Deco, Benny McCarthy, uh, Ricardo Cavallo, who went on to play um, in the Premier League. So obviously they followed Mourinho largely. Um, and, and history very much does forget the losers. I wonder where Monaco might be now. If they won the final, hmm. would we remember them in the same light? Would we remember the manager in the same light, Didier Deschamps? Um and interesting, Leon actually emerged as the most likely team to win the competition in the subsequent years. Yep. I think they were often described as the dark horse, not necessarily favourites to win it, but mm. compared to every other French team, including Monaco, PSG, weren't at, at the heights they are now then. So um, they were the, the real strong candidates to win the win the competition or at least get far. And who could forget Janino's free kicks yep. and the Luther partnership. I don't even know if it aligns this time, but I just love the Leon partnership with Patin Benafra and Karim Benzema. Mm. I don't even know if it aligns that time. I just loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so who are Monaco? Yeah, Monaco are a league side from the Principality of Monaco, which can be found by southeastern France. Second smallest country in the world that I found out in a pub quiz last week. Do you uh, go to pub quizzes often before COVID? Uh, not very good, yeah. I did. I do, but I'm terrible. Okay, fine. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll just leave that one there. Uh, they play in red and white, uh, very much like the Arsenal. And Sunderland. And the Sunderland, sorry. And they were formerly managed by uh, Wenger himself. Uh, they've had many great players over the years, including Glenn Hoddle, Thierry mm. Henry, and Kylian Mbappe. Oh, they play at the Stade Louis II Stadium. In terms of success, uh, they've been pretty successful. Uh, they've won Ligue 1 on eight occasions. They've won the Coupe de France five times and the Coupe de Ligue once. Mm. Alongside their one Champions League final uh, appearance, there were three other semi-final appearances, twice in the 90s and then once in 16-17 with Mbappe and co under Jardim. Mm. That side, you know, had Bakayoko, Fabinho, Lamar, uh, Bernardo Silva, Mendy, the full works. Mm. They finished ninth this season when obviously the season got cancelled and are led by former Spanish manager Roberto Moreno who you might remember is the youngest Catalan to get his way for pro license at 25. That's younger than us. Um, I do have numerous coaching badges, to yep. be fair, but they are all on football manager. Still counts. So yeah, still counts, yeah, I still think. Counts. So how were they performing at the time? Was the Champions League run a fluke? Yeah, they're doing quite well um, all the way back then, but they're a little bit inconsistent. 
they actually won the league in the 99-2000 season with David Trezeguet as their top scorer mm. and Fabian Barthez in goal. And every time I think about Barthez, I always think about that Henri goal. He must have nightmares. That's my favourite goal in Premier League history. I'm not just saying that because you mentioned it in the pod, yeah. the way he flicks it around. The reason it's my favourite is because I suppose anyone could do it to an extent, but yeah. it's just he's done it so fluidly. Yeah. Like there's no like, it's not as if he's flicked it, hesitated, hit it and just hope for the best. He's just, the whole thing is just so well orchestrated. Do you reckon Barthez still has flashbacks of it? He must do. I think he probably does, yeah. It's, it's... <sighs> he must fast forward when it comes up on Premier League years. Because, <laughs> you know, when it comes on, he's thinking, oh, God, get rid. God, get rid. <laughs> um, but yeah, they won the league in 2000 under Claude Puel, which I didn't actually know. Um, so These he, names crop up and you just, you don't associate them with yeah. these times. So he used to play for Monaco and obviously took over as manager and took them to the title. But he was let go the following season when they finished 11th. How are you winning the title coming 11th? Yeah. In came Didier Deschamps for his first managerial job at 32, having just retired uh, after playing at Valencia. Um, they didn't do very well. They finished 15th and then came third the following year to qualify for the Champions League. Um, as I mentioned earlier, they mentioned the CL final, CL semi-finals twice in the 90s. So I wouldn't say their runoff was a one-off, but it was a little bit unexpected at the time. Yeah, to come from 15th in the debut season, yeah. to even retain your job if their appetite is to yeah. be the top of Liga and then to be playing European football is one thing. Mm. Um, to then go on to qualify and then obviously do what they did is, is definitely unexpected. Mm. The summer of 2003 was actually very difficult for Port, um, Monaco. They actually were going through a very difficult time financially uh, with financial irregularities, uh, which the league uh, highlighted. They were threatening to relegate them and they were close to bankruptcy. Good. So Prince Albert of Monaco uh, was heavily involved in the appeal process and tried to hunt for new investors to actually save the club. He managed to find three and appointed a new president uh, by the name of Jean-Louis Campora. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the league uh, was satisfied with Monaco's new investors and management, and they were saved from bankruptcy. So therefore, they were able to embark on the famous 2003-2004 season. It's a crazy rise from the brink. I had no idea Deschamps was manager at that time either. Mm. Um, again, that's one one factor. Like, Had they won that Champions League, everyone would remember that yeah. Deschamps was there. Exactly. Everyone would remember the players. Everyone, mm. everyone would know the narrative that you just spoke about. Yeah. They don't because they didn't win, didn't win it. Whereas yeah. the Porto won. Look at where Mourinho went. Look yeah. at him now. Yeah, it's funny you said that, actually, because the final itself was touted the audition for Chelsea's next manager because Mourinho and oh, Deschamps wow. at the time yeah. were two up-and-coming managers within Europe, both mid-30s, doing very well at respective clubs. Obviously, Mourinho ran out as the winner and the rest is history. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. So did the financial issues affect the playing side? Um... No, it didn't really overall. They managed to keep hold of most of their stars from that famous Champions League run, which included Ludovic Juli, Patrice Evra, Dado Pierso, Jerome Rothen and Akis Zikos. Mm. However, Rafael Marquez was sold to Barcelona. But what it did affect were was the recruitment that year. So Monaco couldn't spend a lot on transfers as they actually mm. still had £50 million worth of debt. Yeah. So they had these new investors in, but they had quite a lot of debt still. So they actually brought in five loanee signings and uh, only bought one player who was um, Manuel Adebayor. Brilliant player. Um, Brilliant man. 
I'm, I'm not going to comment on Adebayor. Um, <laughs> Just for obvious reasons. I mean, was he a good player? Oh, God. Was he's... he a good player? No. Uh, do I like him as a person? No. Um, you know, so we'll just leave it there. Okay. But one of the loanies they did bring in was Fernando Morientes uh, from Real Madrid, who played a key role in their season. Mm. Well, seemingly, seemingly, even in the context of the time, obviously, money was not as substantial in the game as it is now. But it doesn't seem to be that perhaps that windfall that you might have got mm. uh, or you might get now. Um, for reaching the Champions League final, which is significant, um, because that would have largely corrected the the finances. You think? Um, speaking of, well, getting back to the topic of Manuel Adebayor, <clears throat> I know you want to leave it there. Yeah. How is he running the length of a pitch and he sliding in front of the Arsenal fans after scoring against him? I just think it's just, I just find it a bit mad. Is he not out of breath from playing the game? <laughs> <laughs> He's just run the length. It's like when Henri used to score and run the length of the pitch, to celebrate. It's like, how big is your engine? Yeah. Yeah. But Adebayo, Sami Nasri and Bakari Sanya, I imagine are three players that who jump ship to City who I imagine are not on your Christmas card list. They used to be on it and they've been since taken off. Hmm. Hmm. Wise. So how did the 2003-2004 season unfold? Yeah, they came third in the league. They actually lost the fewest league games but didn't end up winning. Uh, they came behind Lyon and PSG. Marseille and Chateau knocked them out of the domestic cup competitions. In the Champions League, they came first in their group, uh, picking up 11 points with a memorable victory over Deportivo La Coruña, which was 8-3. Good. 8-3. Yeah. They then faced uh, Lokomotiv Moscow in the last 16, um, winning on away goals. It's quite uneventful. But they then uh, came up against Real Madrid. And interestingly, Morientes' loan allowed him to face his former side. Yeah, who else was in that team, that Real team? So yeah, back then we're looking at the original Galacticos. So Figo, Beckham, Zidane, the original Ronaldo R9, plus the likes of Roberto, Carlos, Raul and Guti. Mm. Always, always, All always shout out to Guti for being the assist king. If you haven't seen it, type in Guti assist Yeah, there's some unbelievable assist. The back heel one. Yeah. Where he's just like, it's no look as well. It's always no look back heel. It's, it's, it is. And it's the distance the ball's travelled. Yeah. So he's like, I'd say he's, he's knocked it about 10, 15 yards yeah. behind him through two players to yes. Zidane's feet and he's just put it in top left I've done that at power leg a few times oh really yeah. okay it's okay. not on camera though no no that's the, that's the issue isn't yeah, it with problem. the amateur football yeah <laughs> uh, Real Madrid won the first leg 4-2 uh, somehow Sebastian Scolacci got the opener for Monaco <laughs> and Helguera Zidane Figo and Ronaldo scored for Real Madrid and then Morientes got the consolation for mm. Monaco the second leg saw Monaco win 3-1 with goals from Julie and Morientes. Julie got two mm. and Raul scored for Real Madrid. So they went out on away goals. Always tough. Very tough indeed. The semi-final saw them come up against Ranieri's Chelsea and another high-scoring affair. Monaco actually won the opening leg 3-1, which is really interesting because the scores are level when they had a man sent off and then they scored twice in the last 10 yeah. minutes. What what are Chelsea doing? Yeah, I don't know. I don't recall that game. I do recall them playing, but yeah, it's not I don't one recall that the game either. springs to mind too much. No, not at all. The match at the bridge ended two all, and Monaco therefore advanced to the final. And I feel like we all know what happens next. Uh, Mourinho's Porto snuffed out Monaco, storming to a three 0 victory. But what actually happened to that Monaco side? Did it spark a golden era for French football? Mm. Uh, did financial difficulties rear its ugly head again? Yeah. 
um, was Didier Deschamps knighted and all those sorts of things. Mm. Um, there wasn't an initial mass exodus, but Evra, Julie, Rothen and Morientes were out of the club along with Deschamps by 2006. Mm. So a few years later, yeah. Deschamps went to Juventus. In the following years, Monaco failed to get above third place before relegation uh, in 2011. They did win the league again in 2017 with Jardim in charge, led by Mbappe and co, as I touched on earlier, Mm. with that incredible side. And that's kind of how Monaco ended up in the following year since. Mm. But when I looked into the Champions League finals, I googled it. uh, I looked at the finals and who played who, etc., and you'll notice that English sides have reached the final on 11, ca- 11 occasions. Spain yeah. 10, Italy 5, Germany 4, with France on 0 since the 2003-2004 final. Yeah. France are the current World Cup champions. So how are we at a situation where their sides hardly ever, well, don't get to the finals and hardly ever get to the latter stages, mm. apart from PSG, really? Uh, in terms of their league, how can you get the French league to a competitive level so it matches PSG mm. so that these sides can actually win the Champions League or even the Europa League to a degree? Traditionally, the French league has always been seen as an inferior league compared to the Italian, German, English and Spanish league. But that doesn't mean it can't be a force mm. with a few changes in the future. And I think if you're the head of League 1 and you're seeing the success of the French team in particular... How can you make it so that the league is equally successful? The problem is, is that these French players play for other teams abroad. Yeah. And how do you actually keep those young players? And that's a facet for why their their national team to an extent is so good. Like you've got mm. players playing abroad. That means the amount of the amount of pool of your players that are playing at elite clubs across all these different leagues is a lot higher. Yeah. Than say the England team, where there's a if everyone plays in England like they have been doing for a number of years. Yeah. There's only so many elite players and yeah. so many so many positions on the pitch that they can actually occupy. Exactly. So in terms of how can we, or how can you, France or the Ligue 1 make themselves more competitive, you first of all, I think, need to look at interest. So for a country of over 60 million, only 13 stadiums in France have a capacity over 25,000, which is quite small. That is small, yeah. But only six actually reached that average total last season. If you look at England, where 16 sides have the capacity over 25,000, all 16 reached that in total. Mm. With football being far pricier in England, France needs to look at a way at getting more fans into stadiums. So at least at a very basic level, match day revenue can increase overall revenue, which in theory obviously doesn't work that way. You could then reinvest in terms of playing squads. Yeah, I think the fan issue is also seemingly similar in, in La Liga. So you've got yeah. the two massive franchises that yeah. are, um, or brands that are Madrid and Barca. Obviously, Atleti are a big club now. But they also have issues of filling stadiums. I mean, even Barcelona, they've got the biggest stadium in the world mm. in club football. But they and they get very good attendances. But there's also an, an issue there of filling their stadium. Mm. Um, because the interest in the appetite to go to games seemingly isn't as high as it is, say, in England or even in Germany. Yep. Um, the question is whether there is actually space in the current elite to cater for more French teams as well. So something that will only become more apparent should a European Super League come in is that you're going to have a select number of teams that are defined as the, as the elite. And if you look at um, the last eight of the Champions League now, it's usually dominated by the same teams. So you typically have Juve, Real, Barca, Bayern, 
PSG, Liverpool, you'd see are mainstays now. Yeah. Obviously, it's chopped and changed in terms of the, of the Premier League and who's been dominant, who's came in. But you've always had, or typically had, um, some representation from England in that sort of um, in the quarterfinal stage. You've also got Atleti, you've got the, the rise of Inter now coming back. Yeah. Um, you've also got Napoli who've risen in recent seasons and Dortmund. So is there space in that elite for a handful or at least one French team to penetrate, as I've touched on, especially if we bring in a closed Super League, that's going to become, that gap is going to heighten incredibly. France have an unbelievable national team. And perhaps that is largely due to high participation, but low commerciality. So it creates a, it basically creates a breeding ground. So the league, league of becomes a breeding ground akin to say, say the, the Dutch league, although it's a lot smaller, or even the Belgian league. Um, so Kamaviga at Rennes, for example, he played 40 league of games I think it was the 18-19 season yeah. um, or maybe 19-20. But no, it would have been 18 eighteen-nineteen at 17. So you'd think that's just not going to happen in the Premier League because the short-term short term success is so much more mm. paramount than it is in Liga 1 because the, the, the commerciality is so high. The prize money is so high for finishing different spots. The, the cost of not getting into the Europa League or to get in the Champions League or getting relegated is so high. So the short-term incentives are just are just too great to play mm. 17 year olds for 40 games yeah the Camavuga point ties in really well with another point I wanted to look at which is investment uh, looking at PSG and how competitive their side is their annual wage bill is nearly four times the size of second place on that list Monaco which is actually unbelievable mm. the other French teams simply need investment from either wealthy owners to reduce that gap so they can invest in players of Champions League quality or pay the younger players that they do have that could be of that quality the right types of fees to keep them at the club. Mm. If you look at the recent winners of the Champions League and the finalists, they all feature within the top 20 for wage bills within Europe. That doesn't mean it's the only way to actually get to the top because 20th on that wage bill was actually Crystal Palace. But it, there's, a, there's a trend. And if you use it the right way, you realistically need to break that top 20 or top 15 in order to win one of those cup competitions. Yep. And the only way you can do that is with investment because it works both ways. You get the Champions League quality in, the ambition can then cause your young Benzema's, your young Ribéry's, your young Dembele's to stay. And then you can actually form a team that can dominate Europe or get to the latter stages of cup competitions. Yeah. If you look at how, how and why the Premier League is so lucrative, it's because... From 1992, when the Premier League came in, this whole thing with Sky and this broadcasting kind of appetite basically moved the audience far afield from the stadiums to a global audience, or at least to the UK in terms of TV. And over time, that's become even more popular. And the amount we pay for our TV um, subscriptions and how much that's being done globally means that now we've got this this huge global audience that watches the game and watches the, the Premier League. So it's almost become like a snowball effect over time. So without the revenue and that space at UCL level that, um, I touched on. Why would someone invest in another French team, particularly with PSG so rich and so dominant? Like, what is in it, what is in it for them? Unless the French league does become more commercialized and lucrative, only if they achieve European success. But as I've touched on, it's so saturated now at that level, it's so unlikely. And time is of the essence as well. Um, the EPL, Premier League, and I imagine other commercialized leagues, such to an extent like Germany and La Liga are now looking more further afield at different markets, such as in China, for mm-hmm. example, and in India, 
where they can move their brand and they can attempt to enhance say these subscriptions they can get out there or even if they can move games out there so mm. they can attract the audience because their population is so high and they're developing particularly in india it's a developing country where it's just like a gold mine yeah and you've got to think now in in the uk they've probably exhausted to an extent sky and vt yeah. the amount they can really generate from the, the paying public mm. so if they move into these markets before france even really attracts its own market how are they going to be able to bridge that gap it might become impossible I do think, though, France are the world champions. Mm. And for a potential owner or buyer, you know, the World Cup is so famous across the globe, the most famous cup competition, I think. So for a potential investor, that would be something I'd look at in terms of why would I invest? Is that France are so marketable now as being the world champions that if you to get involved in a 10, 12-year project, that in turn could see Liga becoming more lucrative. I mean... PSG are one example. I kind of feel like they've potentially paved the way if you have enough money. If another player comes in, Monaco actually have a very wealthy owner, but he doesn't invest to the level of PSG. Mm. But if more clubs follow suit, they could break that mould. You touched on it before saying, uh, is there any space for them? No, but there's no space because constant clubs are forcing their way in. Man City mm. didn't exist 10 years ago. Yeah. Arguably, they've squeezed out Arsenal um, to a degree. Mm. PSG have forced their way in. Arguably, they've squeezed out the likes of Leon, who used to come first before. Uh, and, and more and more sides, you know, I feel like it's survival of the fittest. There is space if you're willing to push hard enough and you get the right players in. It's just about, or the right investment. It's just about whether you're willing to gamble. Mm. And with the right stewardship, you mean, yeah. it's not it's not um, just generally, but with, without, with the right stewardship, you would actually expect to see PSG actually reach a final yeah. or win the competition or Champions League in the near future or in five, 10 years. I mean, they've, they've paid out the record fee for Mbappe. They've brought in the Neymar for extortion fee as well. Um, so while we're talking about French teams not being prominent on the main stage, well, in fact, we, at least we've got one that looks like they may actually break that mould. And if they do win the Champions League, that might be really good for French football. Yeah. That might in- encourage more commercialisation and more investment. So that's it for this week's podcast. Thank you to Etchers for doing this week's research. No worries. And please, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore for all its content. And please also follow and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud for immediate access to future episodes. That's very, very important. Very important. Thank you, guys. Cheers. 